The scripture reading for our sermon text uh, this morning comes from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Uh, good morning, Risen. Uh, Rich here. And, uh, you know, I hope um, and I'm praying that uh, you are doing well. Uh, it's week two of Shelter in Place, and we're streaming from my place. And I'm just glad that you are able to join us. Um, it's good to see all of you, uh, whether you've been joining us uh, for the past several weeks or if this is your first time, uh, welcome. And, um, you know, for the past several weeks, we as a church, we've been going through a sermon series titled, Facing Our Fears in Times of Uncertainty. And if you missed any of those sermons, uh, you can listen to them on our website. Uh, last week, actually, we take a look at the life of Job and how he persevered through his extraordinary experience of adversity. He lost his finances. Um, he lost his family. Uh, his body was broken down. But even in that trial, even in that time of adversity, we see um, how he trusted God, how God was with him, how he was still in relationship with God. Well, today, uh, we're going to take a look at anxiety. And we're in the midst of a financial and, uh, you know, physiological hardship from the coronavirus. And so we're going to take a look at our anxiety really just in relation to those two hardships. And we're going to do this by seeing Jesus address three things in our passage. We're going to take a look at first how Jesus addresses our treasure. And then secondly, we're going to take a look at how Jesus addresses our anxiety. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at how Jesus talks about 
God's kingdom, his kingdom. So first, our treasure. Uh, Jesus starts off this passage that Harry just read, right? He starts off this discourse with a warning. Uh, in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And now what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't use uh, the typical Greek word for money, which is krema. Instead, Jesus uses the word treasure. And the Greek word for treasure in our passage literally actually means vault, right? Jesus is talking about this vault where people stored their silver and their gold. You know, these days we use banks to store our money. But in ancient times, banks were still a novel idea and not trusted. So everyone stored their silver and their gold and their wealth and their valuable assets in vaults at home. So a better translation of this verse would be, do not lay up for yourselves vaults on earth. And then in verse 21, Jesus connects this vault where we, where we put our treasure in. He connects this vault to what? What does he say? He says, where your vault is, there your heart is. He's connecting our treasure and our vault to our heart. You see, what Jesus is saying is, the more we hoard, the more time and effort we spend in storing up our vaults here on earth is evidence of where our heart is. And where our heart is, is what we love. Where our heart is, is what we worship. Author Tim Keller uh, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, uh, he says, everybody at the center of their soul has something they treasure. It might be status, it might be romance, it might be family, it might be money. And to treasure something means to look at something and to say in your heart of hearts, if I have this, then I'll be set. I'll be secure. If I don't have this, I don't know how I'll be set. I don't know how I'll be secure. I don't know how I'll be happy. And he says that there are many ways to describe this kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best way to describe it is worship. Now, of course, Jesus, you know, he's not saying don't work hard. He's not saying don't be smart with your money. In Proverbs chapter 6, um, I have this on the screen too. He says this, or the word of God says this, go to the ant and consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Friends, this is what Jesus is saying. And this is so important. What Jesus is saying is, don't overvalue money. You see, there's a difference in putting a certain value on money and then putting an overvaluation on money and loving it and cherishing it and thinking about it and worshiping it and thinking it's your ultimate security. Jesus is saying, put the proper value on it because money has a tendency to get overvalued 
and become your life. What Jesus is saying, in other words, is don't let your ultimate treasure, your ultimate purpose, your ultimate security be laid up in your earthly possessions. Don't base your ultimate happiness in them. But there's a second point uh, that Jesus makes here. In verse 24, Jesus says, whatever is your treasure, wherever your heart is, right? Whatever you're worshiping, Jesus is saying what he's saying, you're going to be enslaved to it. That's the metaphor that Jesus uses. So if you find your ultimate security in your financial status and you obsess over it and you worship it, what Jesus is saying is you're enslaved to it. It's become your master. But every master besides Jesus is a terrible master. And there are many reasons why. But let me just give you a few. You see, if you treasure anything besides Jesus, and you worship anything besides Jesus, it's going to have an effect on, on you and how you are made and your DNA as a human being. So if you worship money, if you overvalue it, what's going to happen? The more superficial you become. You become materialistic. Uh, you become stingy. You become controlling and fearful. You're becoming the exact opposite of who God created you to be. Selfless and generous and compassionate and steadfast and courageous. And second, as we see from what's happening in the world right now, if finances has become our master, it'll ultimately fail to give us what we're hoping for, what we're hoping to get from it, which is unwavering security and unwavering control. This brings us to the second thing we see in our passage, our anxiety. You know, um, with the whole coronavirus situation, uh, many, us, many of us feel tremendously insecure. Uh, and there are two main things we, fee we feel insecure about. And that's our financial health and our physical health, right? Uh, right now, we are feeling tremendously insecure about our financial health and our, um, our physical health. But here's the thing, you know, um, this isn't new, right? This isn't probably going to, isn't the first time that we've experienced insecurity about these things. And, and it will definitely not be the last time. And what I mean by that is this. If, if you or someone uh, in your family has ever struggled with cancer, you know, this, this virus has not brought any new feeling into your life. You already know the fragility of life. You know how important health is. But you also know its frailty. You know its unpredictability. You know its impermanence. And if you were working or investing and saving for retirement in 2008, you know that this feeling of insecurity and fear is not novel. right? Uh, it's still shocking how this one is playing out uh, with the whole uh, global pandemic. But, but this isn't new. You see, um, it's the exact same feeling. I, I've talked to many people during this time. It, you know, it's a reminder that nothing in this life is certain. You know, several years ago, uh, I came across an article in the New York Times Magazine, and, and the author was someone who had been in the middle of the internet boom of the 90s, and he lived through the dot-com crash in 2002 and the Great Recession in 2008. 
And this is what he said. He said this in, in the New York Times Magazine article that I was reading several years ago. He said this. In times of great economic success, everyone is trying to ferociously climb up the ladder to secure their insecurity. But if there is anything this old man has learned, control is an illusion. The only thing we can be certain of is uncertainty itself. You know, 2,000 years ago, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus said pretty much the same thing. He said, change is the only constant in life. Now, what happens when anything threatens our treasure, right? Uh, we get anxious. We get petrified. We feel like everything is falling apart and, and we're overcome with fears and doubts and unbelief, right? That, that's how we feel when what we treasure, right, is going up and down and everything seems uncertain. You know, um, uh, 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 Franklin Roosevelt, at the peak of the Great Depression, he gave a speech, right, in a very treacherous time. And this is what he said in that speech. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert defeat into advance. Right? It was such a beautiful speech during such an anxious dangerous, tumultuous, and treacherous time, right? And it's essentially pretty much what Jesus says in our passage today. In verse 27, Jesus says, which of you, by being anxious, by being fearful, can add a single hour to his life, right? What Jesus is saying is, which of you, by being uh, unreasonably, unjustified, fearful, which of you, by being fearful and anxious, can add a single hour to his life, can, can move on and advance. That's what Jesus is essentially saying. The same thing, right? Nobody worries, right? And things to themselves, you know, man, I feel a lot better, right? And no one stresses out and says, you know, I feel like I added years to my life. That, that was great. That was productive. You know, let me do that again. No, no one does that. You know, like FDR said, more than helping, fear paralyzes and prevents advance. Worrying will actually shorten your life, right? It leads to an increased heart rate and high blood pressure. It leads to insomnia. It weakens your immune system. It creates, it creates uh, more stomach acid, uh, and so it leads to heartburn and ulcers. You know, your body reacts and thinks it's in, in this flight mode and, or fight mode, and so it increases sugar into your bloodstream. You know, chronic stress just wears you down emotionally, and it leads to depression, right? Anxiety doesn't help you. It doesn't add years to your life. It actually does the exact opposite. But friends, Jesus is not just stating a scientific fact here about the negative effects of stress. What Jesus is doing, um, there's a deeper irony here. What he's saying is, you know, I, by worrying, you seek control. By worrying, you seek security. You want to be God, but you're not. You don't control the stock market. You don't control your career. You don't control the years of your life. 
Only the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity have allotted our years before time began. Friends, what Jesus is saying is anxiety is not the answer to your fears. There is a solution, but anxiety isn't it. Right now, maybe you're thinking, you know, Pastor Rich, I might get sick. Um, it could lead to death. You're worried about dying. You're worried about getting sick. And I understand your fear. My wife, Jen, you know, she has uh, weak lungs. And so she gets bronchitis and pneumonia easily. You know, she's cleaning down everything with Clorox wipes. Um, I almost lost my dad to a heart attack several years ago. Jen lost her father to cancer 15 years ago. And when Jen's dad passed away, he had no life insurance. Uh, he was an immigrant. He had a small business. And her mom was an immigrant widow with two mouths to feed. We understand the fear. And our response is this. First, right now, in regard to the pandemic, listen to the health advisors, right? Don't go thinking you're the exception. Two, uh, remember that there are people who are risking, literally risking their lives out there for us right now. And so think and pray for them and their families too. And thirdly, um, I say this not as a counselor right now specifically, you know, because as a counselor, there'd be a dialogue, there'd be a discussion, there'd be much more time. But I say this right now, primarily, contextually as a preacher, okay, of God's word. Friends, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. You might be facing this right now because of the coronavirus. But there have been people who've been facing this reality before the coronavirus. And there will still be people who will face this reality after the coronavirus. And if you truly, truly no longer want to be afraid of suffering and death, if, if, if that's something that you truly are concerned about, then there's, there's only one ultimate cure. You see, there's something far worse than the coronavirus that has been just wrecking havoc on humanity from the beginning of time. It's the source of all disease, all disaster, and death, it's the contagion of sin that has infected every single person and is the greatest travesty of all. And it not only leads to death, but it also leads to tremendous spiritual and emotional death in our hearts. It 
prevents us from loving God and being in a relationship with God and living that out with each other. It's the reason why there's wars and racism and oppression and even still slavery, slavery in parts of the world today. The Bible describes sin as the corruption of the good. And friends, if you are truly concerned about pain and suffering, if you are truly, truly worried about death, then there's only one cure. And that's Jesus. And so if you're serious about your fear of death, then you've got to examine the scriptures. You've got to take a look at the life of Jesus. You've got to examine the resurrection because if God exists, if Jesus was a historical, real human being, if the disciples were real, if there's archaeological evidence of the life and times of Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, if the resurrection is true, friends, then this changes everything. So examine it. If you want to take suffering and death seriously, friends, consider Jesus. Examine it. Examine him. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, Pastor Rich, you know, I might lose my job, or maybe you've already lost your job, and maybe you're, you're worried I could, I could lose my house. And so first, friends, if you have a, a, a specific need, if you're not sure how you know you're going to get food on the table or where you're going to stay, you know, please reach out to me, reach out to Pastor Harry, reach out to Grace uh, and Malcolm, um, who who are on the Justice and Compassion team. We are family. We're we're the church. We're here for you. And second, uh, this will not be the last crisis we go through. Will we get through this? Yes. How? together. But one day, we will all lose our finances. We can't take any of this with us. All our time and energy invested in these things, what does Jesus say? He says, you can't take, can't take any of this with you. And you know, the entire time uh, that, that Jesus was on earth, his disciples thought he was building an earthly kingdom, you know? They thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and that they, he was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel back to its glory days. And Jesus saying, no, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not trying to establish my kingdom here. And this age is perishing. He's saying, I've put an expiration date on it. Stop, stop trying to, to save expired food. That's what he compared it to. You know, he's saying, he's saying, keeps telling his disciples, I've got something better. I've got something better. I've got something where neither moth nor rust can destroy. So friends, let me give you hope. This brings us to the last point, the kingdom of God. In verse 33, uh, Jesus tells us, his disciples, his audience at that time too, of course. He says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, that sounds a little bit mysterious, doesn't it? You know, unfortunately, uh, some people have taken this verse to imply a prosperity gospel uh, meaning if you follow God, he will give you all these things, right? Security, wealth, belongings, and a long life. And, and that's um, absolutely wrong. And 
you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, misnomers and, and misinterpretations and stereotypes of Christianity. Um, and so that's wrong. And it's really sad because uh, that some teach this because that's not how Jesus lived. That's not how any of his disciples lived. Right? What this verse is really teaching us is this. If you seek the kingdom of God, which can only be entered through Jesus, you see, if you, if you ever try to get a, a family member to become a citizen, you have to sponsor them. You have to vouch for them. And so in the same way to become a citizen in the kingdom of God, Jesus has to vouch for you. You have to have a relationship with him. You have to submit under his authority, under his kingship. You trust in his death for your sins and his resurrection as your life. And you back it up and you do your best to follow him. Will it be perfect? Of course not. But that's why Jesus died for your sins. Not just the past, but the present and future sins. We sang this song earlier today. His grace is enough. I hope you felt that when you sang that song, friends. Right? We sing, your grace is enough. That's what it means. Your grace is enough for our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. Your grace is enough when we feel broken and when we feel insecure in your anxiety. Your grace is enough. So if you're in Jesus' kingdom, if you're with the king, Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. Well, what are these things? Are they earthly blessings? Earthly security and earthly life? This can't be true because not only did Jesus and his disciples not live like this, they actually lived pretty short lives because they were killed for their faith. They were persecuted for their faith. They were discriminated for their faith. But not only that, even, even today, right, there are, there are wealthy Christians and there are poor Christians. There are Christians who die old and there are Christians who die young. So, so what is Jesus talking about? What does he mean if he says, when he says, if we seek his kingdom, thing, these things will be added to us? What's going to be added to us? Jesus is talking about eternal life. Friends, he's, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about eternal glory. And this begins when you first start following Jesus, you experience a spiritual resurrection with a new life and spirit that brings a, a new peace and joy into your heart. And you have this new hope and power for renewal and transformation. And you receive, man, this grace and love from God for, for you and then through you to others. But this is just the beginning. We don't experience its fullness here. We'll only experience this fullness in the last day of the resurrection. So friends, ultimately, Jesus is not just trying to get us through this pandemic alive and unscathed. right? He's just not trying to get us through every single hiccup in our life. This is not going to be the last winter we go through together. But Jesus' will in every season is this. Friends, he's trying to change how you live your entire life. He's trying to change what you treasure, where you put your heart, what you worship. Because what you worship is what you're enslaved to. He wants to free you from all these other masters that will take you on this roller coaster 
of insecurity and anxiety. And he wants to bring you under his lordship. And if you're under his lordship, in the hills and in the valleys, in the fall harvest and the summer drought, and you're with Jesus, and you treasure him, then you'll have eternal life. You'll have eternal security. You'll have the peace and the comfort that you've always been looking for. You see, Jesus knew there was nothing more valuable than human life. And the only way he could save us, the only way he could answer that call was to come down and bring us through. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, what this passage is saying is, is your Jesus' treasure. You were and are his treasure. Can you believe that? You know, the thing that you most treasure right now, the thing that you're most anxious about right now, you are that to Jesus. It wasn't his wealth in heaven. It wasn't his life on earth. It wasn't his reputation. It wasn't his comfort. No, just you and me. We were his everlasting. We were worth it all to him in the end. That's all that ever mattered to him. Let me just end with this. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the apostle Paul says, for, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's pretty counterintuitive right now with what we're seeing, isn't it? Right? What is, what is Paul talking about? You know, nobody, what he's saying is nobody in heaven is saying, he's, nobody in heaven is up there and, he's, and, he's, and they're looking down and they're saying, you know what? Man, I miss global pandemics. <laughs> they're not saying that. No, I, no one in heaven is saying, I miss recessions. You know, I miss taxes. I miss politics. I miss racism, right? I miss sinning. I miss fighting with my spouse, sleeping on the couch. Nobody is saying that in heaven. No, they're in heaven. They're in glory. They're with Jesus. They're resurrected. They're with their spiritual family. They're eating and drinking. They're laughing. They're having, they have everything they'll ever need. They're saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. Risen. Do you believe this? We're going to need faith. So, Risen, get out your faith. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you've given us um, your son. And you knew before the beginning of time, Lord, that, that we'd be here 
worshiping in our living rooms, from our phones, uh, from our laptops, our screens. This doesn't mean that, that you, you know, brought this pandemic upon us. No, it's, it's the consequences of Adam and Eve and the sin. And just as future generations will have to live what we, we give them, Lord, we have to live with what Adam and Eve has given us. And, and it's, it's the, the consequence of sin and how it has reversed everything. And you could have stopped it immediately, but you didn't. You allowed it to happen. And we'll never be able to understand fully why you allow certain things to happen. But it doesn't mean that you're not in control and that you don't love us. How do we know this? Because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and you allowed tremendous evil and injustice to fall upon him so that he can put the weight of the sins of the entire world on his shoulders so that we can live forgiven, innocent, acquitted souls before you, the God who sees everything. And not only that, he has destroyed the sting of death and in his resurrection he declares to be the holy one the victorious one the savior of the world and he is at the right hand of the father and all the saints of the past and the present and the future shall be there so father would you speak to us during this time would you encourage us and unite us to you and to each other? And would you use this experience to allow us to let go of the things that never were meant to be permanent and to grasp the one who is permanent? For we cannot do both. Father, would you work in all our hearts that which you desire to do, which is to draw us closer to you, closer to heaven, closer to Jesus, closer to that which is not perishing, which is everlasting, what moth and rust cannot destroy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.